This episode is brought to you by Allstate. Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere, like at your pregame barbecue. While you prep your meats, that grease trap you forgot to empty is prepping to smoke your porch, garage, and the car inside. And without the right home and auto insurance coverage, the cost to repair this could eat up your savings. So bundle home and auto with Allstate to save and get protected from mayhem like this. Bundled savings vary and are not available in every state. Coverage is subject to policy terms and conditions. Welcome back to Sports Day for Nutrient Ag Solutions. Going further for Australian farmers, find your local branch at nutrient.com.au. Well, Bryce, in the lead up to Christmas, we're exploring the history of sport in Australia. I know it's a subject that's close to your heart and mine. Last week, we went back into the 30s and 40s, a bit before your time, and we spoke to my grandfather and the 50s and 60s with Brownlow medalist Peter Bedford. On Thursday this week, we have got Georgie Parker. She'll join us to talk about the 90s. In fact, we might even have a special 90s show, I reckon, that would uh, really attract the interest of the listeners. But today, it's time for the 1970s. I know from personal experience, our next guest is an expert on the 70s. His name is Tim Morris. He's also my dad. What a privilege this is. Welcome, Dad. Thanks very much, Tommy. Thanks, Bryce. Nice to be here. It's good to have you on Sports Day. Let's go back to the very start. What's the first memory you have of watching sport in the 1970s, Dad? My first memory was going with my dad to watch the, watch the Pitt Panthers play American football. Yep. Uh, we had season tickets there in 1971, so I would have been about seven. Wow. Seven years old, going to watch American football. So you were living in the US? Correct. We are living in Pittsburgh. Dad Explain to us why, yeah. Dad was a, uh, a doctor in, at the University of Pittsburgh, so he was, um, he was there for a couple of years, and we ended up staying there for six. Yep. So what other sports growing up in the US as a, in your single digits, I, I suppose, what other sports caught your eye as a young man? Baseball was my favourite. I, I love baseball. I love playing it. I love watching it. Uh, my heroes were mostly baseballers. But we went to the hockey as well and to the football. Uh, Pittsburgh didn't have a, an NBA team, but they had a, another team that we went to watch occasionally. What, was there a day when uh, you what, – what happened? Your dad caught the ball. Yeah, that was, would have been when I was about 11. Yeah. And we were there. We were uh, sitting behind the first base seats, but well back. And a ball came towards us, and he stood up, and it was coming like a rocket. And he caught it against his neck, two hands, and uh, – and the guys around us were just astonished that somebody could catch it barehanded. And the first thing he did was he just handed it down to me. It's the, wow. it's the greatest moment of my childhood. <laughs> That's fantastic. Now, where's that ball now? It's sitting in a stand on, in my study at home. Isn't that fantastic? Yep. So it's as if someone's played a backward cut and he's been caught a backward point. Correct. In cricketing yeah. terms. Yeah, probably, probably a little steeper, more third man-ish, but, but, yeah. but going fast. And yeah. barehanded. Correct. That's yeah. amazing. Yeah. That's awesome. If, the, if my house were to burn down, the one thing I would say would be that ball. Not even photo albums of me? I've got them on my computer. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so who was your first sporting hero in the 70s? There was a baseballer called Roberto Clemente, yep. who was a Puerto Rican-American, and uh, he was a fantastic player. Didn't get the, um, the recognition he deserved until 1971 when he starred in the World Series. Mm. And we went to watch the game late in the 1972 season when he was on 2,999 hits. And it was a big thing to get 3,000. Only 10 men had ever done it before him. And he hit a shot to second base and uh, it was misfielded and it was judged an error, not a hit. So he didn't get his 3,000th that night. He got it the next night. And then three months later, he died in a plane accident. So oh, he, wow. he only ever got 3,000. What a tragedy that is. It was a terrible tragedy. He was a wonderful man. Did, who did he play for? Pittsburgh Pirates. Yeah, okay. His yeah. whole career. Yep. Yep. Did you cry when he died? I sure did. Yeah. yeah it was very So sad. how old were you? I was eight. Yeah, wow. Yeah. That's amazing. Those are those moments you don't forget when you're a child, are they, Bryce? For seven, eight years old, something significant happens. And there's a fair, yeah, there's a big US sport component to this. I mean, we know that a lot of the listeners are cricket fans and footy fans, but growing up in the US, 
must have been entirely different to what you encountered when you came back to Australia. It's really interesting because I was a huge Steelers and Pirates fan. And when we came back here, I was astonished to see there were 11 teams, 11 footy teams in Melbourne alone and no cricket team that represented Melbourne. It was a very different environment. You know, we went to school in Pittsburgh and everyone was wearing black and gold for the Pirates and the Steelers. Mm. So transitioning into Australian sport, how did, how did that come about? Um, obviously, Dad had a, a bit of an influence to say this is the path we're taking, but to have no introduction to cricket and then suddenly it's it's right under your nose and you're going to school and playing this, this game that probably you've never seen. Correct, yeah. And I wasn't very good at it, but I, but I loved it right from the start. And the footy, the first season of the footy that I saw was in 1977, and uh, that was the year of the centenary test as well. We went to most days of that. So I fell in love with both games pretty quickly. Do you remember being in the US in the early 1970s and having any idea that even footy and cricket existed? Now, if you live in the US or in London, you'll be able, you can watch it on TV. But back then, I presume that it's so far out of sight and out of mind. Yeah, I'm not sure how much Americans see of cricket on the TV nowadays. Even, But no, not really. Dad talked about it a bit, but I didn't understand either game or know anything about them. What was the hardest skill to learn in either game? Yeah, in, in footy, it's kicking on the run. Yeah. Uh, and in cricket, I think it, it's probably oh, maybe bowling, but certainly picking the ball off the bounce for batting too, very different from batting as a baseballer. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's the challenge, isn't it? That's what I t- say to a lot of spinners is the actual fact. What you can do in the air before it, it then pitches, like mm. you, you're like a baseball pitcher getting the curve and all those sort of things, but then it's got to spin off the yeah. ground. So it actually has this high, high level of complexity if it's yeah. on that length. That That is a hard thing to judge. So did you just get thrown into playing Aussie sports? Did you just get involved? Because I bet you could hit those waist-high full tosses for miles. Yeah, I was looking forward to those. Uh, <laughs> yes, uh, sport was compulsory at school I went to, and I wanted to play the mainstream one, so I got involved straight away that first year we were back. Yeah. Well, did you have to change your technique? I can imagine you setting up to bat like you're a batter, when in fact you're a cricket batter, I got batsman some, back then. I got some coaching, so I just I just learned how to do it to, to get my stance right and all that sort of thing. It was judging the ball that was the hard part of it. Yeah. What are your memories of Olympic Games in the 1970s? I was, I was hugely into the Olympic Games because we're living in the States, so they would fall right in our school holidays in July. Uh, I remember vividly we were watching television uh, in the morning in 1972 when the hostage crisis began, when the Israeli rooms were, were invaded by the, uh, by the terrorists, uh, which was a terrible day, and we didn't know what was going on to start with. Uh, and Mark Spitz won seven gold medals that year too, and Shane Gould was the star for Australia. So I remember that one very well. Mm-hmm. And then 76 was marred by the, uh, the boycott of the African nations. They were upset that uh, New Zealand had played rugby against South Africa, and so they boycotted the, the African nations, refused to take part, which deprived the athletes of some of their best athletic athletes. Yeah. Yeah. It's amazing, isn't it, how these politi- – and I, you might be – you might tell me otherwise, but my feeling is that the 1970s is when political activism got directly involved in the Olympics. I know that there was uh, bits and pieces in Olympics before, but the 70s is when it really had a material impact. Well, there were four in a row, really. That, that what years were that? So, 72, that one, and then 76, the, uh, the um, African boycott, and then 80 80- – the uh, Americans boycotted Moscow and then the, the uh, Soviet Union got them back by boycotting in 84. So four Olympics in a row, it was a big, big ticket item. Hey, Bryce, you can tell he's a history teacher, can't you? <laughs> he's, uh, <laughs> he's got, he's got all, all the stats down. Pat, do you remember the Olympics all in the 1970s or not quite? Probably the 80s yeah. where it was, uh, it was controversial, the Moscow Olympics, and some Australians didn't go. Some did go. Um, Australia as a team, it was up to a people's choice rather, or an athlete's choice rather is the better yeah. way to put it. But uh, certainly before that, and it had an impact. There was all this, not that you understood it as a kid, but uh, what, you know, I, I guess 
it was uh, you, you knew that there was bad things going on around the world uh, and a lot of it. And it was getting around that time of that, that introduction of colour TV as well. So you were you're probably as a kid, I probably watched more telly. Black and white was hard to watch, particularly watching North Melbourne and Collingwood. That was impossible. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> that was really tough yeah. going in the seventies. But it, it just opened your eyes. So you wanted to see these moments more. In colour, did that have a similar impact to you growing up? It really did. We'd had colour television in the States. And when we came back on a holiday in 1974, I was astonished to see black and white telly. It just makes everything look so old-fashioned, doesn't it? Even yeah. now, yeah. if you look, footy bef- uh, look at footy before the 75 introduction of colour telly, it just looks so old. Uh, yeah, it brings it to life much better. And it, we didn't realise, of course, that the big screen tellies were way in the future. But uh, it was uh, we only had little televisions, but it was still very exciting. 1977 is a big year for AFL and cricket. Can you talk us through the 1977 grand final and why that was significant as well? We were sitting, we got there about 11 o'clock in the morning. We were in the members and sat right on the uh, top of the uh, members stand there for the Collingwood North grand final, uh, which was exciting because in those days they had three games uh, on the day. So we watched the reserves. What was the three games? The under-19s, the reserves and the, and the seniors would play all in the same What day. happened? Surely the grass was no good by the time the seniors played. The grass was, uh, usually by September it was all right. Really? Yeah, but yeah. They wouldn't do that now, would they? No. I feel like 20 years ago they had maybe one game beforehand, like a curtain raiser, but two games beforehand is big. Yeah. So you could get there at nine. The gates would open. You could watch yeah. all three games. But we were able to get a seat at 11. So we watched the, the grand final, which was the thrilling draw when Twiggy Dunn kicked the goal late to tie the score. Uh, and then we went the next week and watched the replay and, and North Melbourne thrash Collingwood the week after. Amazing. Collingwood had come bottom the year before and then made the grand final in 77. And you weren't a fan of World Series cricket at the start, were you? I wasn't. I was, I was only a kid and I didn't really understand how poorly played, paid the players were. Uh, I just thought it was eroding the traditional nature of the game. It actually created a thrilling series in 77, 78 when the... Uh, Bob Simpson, Australians played the Indians. Mm. That was a beauty. How old was Bob Simpson then? Bob Simpson would have been early 40s by the yeah, time. Yeah, 40, 41, something like that. He yeah. played very well and he was a good captain. Yeah. Yeah. I thought he was ancient because I was only about 13. <laughs> 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 Isn't it funny how age, as you do get a bit older, you, you thought, saw these people in their 40s and 50s and thought they were ancient. Yeah. And you I see still, them on telly. that, Bryce. Yeah, thanks a lot, Tom. Bob thanks. was just a kid. Yeah, yeah. very little, yeah. yeah. So, do, do you remember the circus around World Series cricket? I mean... I've only seen bits and pieces, but to me, the full SCG with the lights on is sort of the moment that it, that it arrived. Yeah, I do. I remember prior to that when the because it, the story broke while the Australian team was in England for the Ashes tour, and they didn't play very well in 1977, uh, and they almost all joined. So they came back for that 77-78 series, and uh, the West Indians were allowed to play both. They could play Test cricket and World Series cricket, but the Australians couldn't. So it it just it took almost all the best players. Jeff Thompson stayed with the traditional game, but the rest all went to uh, World Series cricket. And it was, yeah, it was thrilling and colourful and white balls and mm. uh, hard hitting and wickets that toppled over and all that sort of stuff, but I never really warmed to it. So how was it presented to the public at that time? Um, I guess the the, the ACB, um, being the, the, the board of control at the time, um, maybe would have had a, a different narrative to, I guess, the excitement. You said it was all colour and all those sorts of things. Um, it, how was that presented and how did you make your choice to, to stick with what's tried and true? I'd only been following it for a year or so because we'd only just come back and I, I just loved the, the traditional game and the baggy green and that sort of thing <coughs> like we all do. Mm. Uh, and uh, the other one was just, 
it, was, it looked to me like Kerry Packer making a spectacle to make money. Uh, and the players benefited from it, of course, because they were getting the money and so were the commentators who went across. Uh, but it just it wasn't really for me. And I'm, I was glad when, the, when they amalgamated and, and had a good competition where players did get paid for their efforts uh, and we kept the coloured clothing yeah. and all that sort of stuff to make it exciting. Uh, but that first, that first season or two, I stayed with the, the traditional game. Dad and I have had many discussions about live golf because I love the way that live golf is testing the PGA Tour. I'm not making a comment on where the money's coming from, but it's testing the PGA Tour and its, and its, um, and its framework to really make sure that the players get what they deserve. Now, yep. hopefully they can come together eventually, but you're not a Live Golf fan, and I haven't changed your mind yet, but I feel like you're just starting to turn. <laughs> I'm not sure I'm t- starting to turn. I think I'm staying <laughs> he, with the other one. He's pretty yeah. stubborn. Um, <laughs> what about tennis and golf in the 1970s? Yeah, we follow a lot of tennis. Tennis was very popular uh, in the States, and uh, Yvonne Goulagong, who became Yvonne Goulagong Cawley, uh, mm. was a hero of mine as a kid. She won a couple of Wimbledons at that time. Yeah. Uh, the, the men's game in Australia was fading, but it was exciting. Wimbledon was exciting with Bjorn Borg doing so well and then McEnroe challenging Could him. you watch it late at night? Uh, well, we were living in the States, so it was oh, at, right. at, a, at a reasonable time for what us. What about when and you came back? Could you watch Wimbledon late at night? Yeah, I used to, as a, as a, a teenager, I used to watch it very late at night. Yeah. Right into it. Yeah. The what, golf, not so much. No. I, I, I warmed to golf later on. But Jack Nicholas was the, was the big name in golf in the 70s. Massively. Well, him and Tom Watson had some, a couple of epic duels. Yeah. Yeah, it was exciting. Now, who do you think the most famous sports person was in Australia in the 1970s? I think probably Shane Gould briefly in 72 because our, our Olympic star was really fading at that stage. We didn't win any gold medals at the Olympics after that and she did so well. Uh, and as I said, Yvonne Gulligan Corley was probably the next one, I think. Yeah. yeah. Uh, of, of the big international sports, obviously they were very prominent footballers at the time as well. Yeah. Well, we're talking about football. It's uh, the world game football. Um, obviously there were World Cups going through that period and it was a, it was a real evolution in, in, in world soccer as it came together and the, the awareness of other competitions. I guess a lot of people were stuck in what they knew right under their nose, but with the advent of tel- telly and all those things, we could get more news about the, the world game. FIFA World Cups, was that something that caught your eye as a young man? Not until 82. So uh, 74, we were still living in the States and it, it, it got no market there at all. Yep. Uh, but in 82, uh, when the Italians won and Ligon Street went nuts, yeah, I got right into it then. It was fantastic. Yeah. What about um, soccer in Melbourne at the time or in Australia in the 70s? When you came back, was it even yeah. a sport that you could choose to play? Yeah, it was. Yeah, yeah. schools mostly had taken it up by then. It was the uh, Most of the competitions were very the, – the, te- the clubs were mostly very uh, nationally based, mm. uh, which caused mm. a few issues of its own. Uh, and it was popular, but it was a bit of a niche market. Yeah. Footy's always been worried that it might challenge it, but it, it wasn't at that stage, I don't think. Yeah, I mean, and back then there was no such thing as – um, a female football league either was the it was just men's football. No, that's right. Yeah, yeah. Bo- both codes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Which, about- when you think of it, it you got to scratch your head, don't you? What? Why didn't we think broader than just the guys playing it and mm. watching? Well, even twenty five years ago, that was the case. Let alone in the nineteen seventies. It's amazing. Yeah. Um, what else uh, captured you about sport in the nineteen seventies? What else tickled your fancy that you really enjoyed, or you found that was unique to that era? I had a teacher in grade who was massively into boxing. Muhammad Ali was at the peak of his powers at the time. Mm. And it wasn't shown on television. If you wanted to go, if you wanted to watch the boxing in your city, you would go to somewhere like the National Tennis Centre and it would be on the big screens. And you paid good money to go along and watch it. Why was it not shown on TV? Just because that's how they they made their money out of charging people a lot of money to watch it in a big arena. Um, And so I followed his career pretty closely. He'd missed his best three years because he uh, refused to go to Vietnam. But uh, in the 70s, there was some fantastic and and now very famous bouts that he was in. So Mm. I was into that. Was the whole of Australia into that or not? Well, we were in the States. Oh, uh, right. So I think so. But yeah, so, yeah we were, certainly in the United States, it was very popular. Yeah. What are your memories of the 70s, Bryce? 
Oh, very little. Yeah. Um, other than cricket. Yeah, a, a little bit of cricket, and yeah. uh, I'd get cricket books and things like that, and flip through. And yeah. Um, I had the courage football. It had a courage football book, and it went to like seventy eight, I think it was. And uh, did you know the that? same with. I don't with, remember that one. Yeah. So there's another cricket book that did the same thing about yeah. test cricket and all those. So I was constantly into books and then following it. And then, you know, obviously going outside and living your own test matches and put yourself in your own little world doing yeah. that and kicking the footy in the around garden. as well. Yeah, all of that. Yeah, out in the street. Yeah. What, what about, and we're interested in the media and the role of journalists as well. It's such a different game back then. I can imagine Lou Richards was a massive name. Who were the biggest names in footy and cricket media back then? Yeah, the three wise monkeys, uh, uh, Bob Davis and, and uh, Jack Dyer and, and Lou Richards used to do the yeah. Thursday night footy team, league teams and present them. Hugely uh, popular show. Massively popular. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it was a big thing, the announcement of the teams each week. Uh, now, of course, because they play at different times, it's, it's a bit different, but yeah. uh, it was huge. And I, I used to always uh, buy the paper and read the reports about all the games uh, after they were played. Um, it was the only way you could get the information, really. And it might, might shock some of our younger listeners that every game was played at the same time on a Saturday, wasn't it? Correct, 2.10 p.m. on a Saturday. So it's impossible to watch every... In fact, you couldn't even watch every game if you wanted to watch it on replay, could you? No. So how did that work? So it, I, I used to go to the footy most Saturdays and I'd come home and I'd watch the winners on Channel 2. And, uh, Drew Morfitt. <laughs> Drew Morfitt, yeah, yeah. And then Tim Lane oh, yeah, yeah. on the ABC. Yeah. Am I allowed to say that on here? Yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah that's fine. <laughs> and... Uh, and uh, so that would, from 6 to 6.30, they'd have a panel. I think there were about six of them on the panel, and they would discuss the games. Each of them had been to a game during the game day, and then they would show half an hour. Uh, they'd show one quarter of one game. And then at 7.30, Peter Landy would present the uh, Channel 7 version of that, and they would usually show uh, part of, I think, three games. So yeah. Yeah, that's how I got my footy fix. That just wouldn't work now, would it? Because community football all around the country needs to play on Saturday afternoons. Yes, and they did then. If you played community footy, you never went to the footy. Really? Yeah. And presumably there'd be players that um, if you didn't live in the same state and you never watched them play, you'd never see play live. Correct. That's right. So people talk about the great South Australian and Western Australian players of the time, but if they didn't come to the VFL, we, we didn't know anything about them. And who were they at the time? Gee, I can't even remember now. Yeah. yeah. Polly Farmer. Was he 60s? No, Polly Farmer came across to play for Geelong. Yeah. yeah. Well, one of the players yeah. was definitely Malcolm Blight, wasn't he? Yeah. He and, and, and he was a big part of that sort of 77, that re resurgence of North Melbourne. Mm. Um, you know, him coming across, it was a big deal when they did. And they'd often come across in a little package, wouldn't they, with a, with another stable pony, if you like, yeah. from, the, from interstate. They'd come together. But they, they had enormous influence. They did. Well, he was a superstar, Blight. Won the, won the Brownlow the year after that. Yeah. They were some great players. Take a step back. When you look at 1970s sport and compare it to now, what do you think the biggest difference is? I think that just the huge volume of it in the media. Now, nowadays. Nowadays. Yeah. yeah, you can watch. Uh, remember we had the, the footy frenzy a couple of years ago during COVID and you could watch oh, foot, yeah. footy every night. I know yeah. that was one out, one out of the box. But, uh, yeah, you watch footy on Saturday and you watch test matches. They would play five or six test matches in the summer and then every four years we'd watch the Ashes on the television. Yeah. Uh, but there wasn't much else really. And Shield cricket? Shield cricket. I can't remember whether it was on the on the telly. I used to go and watch it a bit. Yeah. Yeah. Late in the afternoon. Yeah, go after school sometimes. Yeah. Mm. Oh, thank you, Dad. That's excellent. So um we'll talk about nineteen eighties sport a little bit later in the week, but we appreciate your time. You're pretty good in the media. You might be taking my job soon, I reckon, Bryce. Comfortably. What a memory. Dad joined us for APCO. Skip the queue with APCO app. With the APCO app, pay for petrol from the comfort of your car or pre-order food and drinks. This is Sports Day for Kia. The Epic has arrived. All-electric Kia EV9 and Maccas. The Tim Tam McFlurries back at Maccas. More Sports Day after this.